0: I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. Today's guest is Scott Zygmunt, Vice President, Sales and Marketing at Performance Services, an Indianapolis-based business constructing and delivering high-performing buildings with optimal environments. Throughout Scott's career in sales leadership positions and organizations such as GE and Roche Diagnostics, Scott has focused on getting results through others. He attributes his business success to his focus on people and getting the culture right, as he'll talk a lot about today. As a West Point grad, Scott learned about the connection of leadership and culture early in his career. And the story he'll share today highlights his values-based leadership. When he reported an incident of very poor leadership, Scott was shocked at the response and learned a lot about himself through that situation. Scott provides practical advice and asks some really important questions to help you determine what kind of culture you're creating. Check it out.
1: I'm going to actually go back to high school. So I grew up in the Chicagoland area and. Uh, I came home from school one day, and my dad was an assistant principal of a local high school. And he came home and said, hey, buddy, I think this might be an interest to you. And that was the United States Military Academy at West Point. And so I was captain of the basketball team and the baseball team. And um, I was a pretty good student. And from a leadership standpoint, it's something that came natural to me. So my dad talked to me about the opportunity and that was it. I didn't even play with GI Joes back in the day. Uh, (laughs) But my high school basketball coach knew the uh, basketball coach at Army. So between my junior and senior years, uh, I went out for a summer camp. And so ended up uh, realizing that this would be a great opportunity for me. And So I applied to the academy and I got uh, a nomination and an appointment to the academy and uh, ended up going there in 1984. So I graduated from West Point in 1988. I then served five and a half years in the Army. I was over in Germany when the Berlin Wall was up, and it was down when I left, so I got that done. (laughs) Well done. Thank you. And then uh, I got stationed here in Indianapolis, where we currently live, and deployed to Somalia. I had a four-month experience in Somalia, and then after Somalia, I came back to the United States and got out of the Army. So I served about five and a half years in the Army four years at the Academy and it was just a a life-changing experience for me. So coming out of the army, I wanted to continue to lead. I worked for a company called Boston Chicken, which is now called Boston Market and ran three stores for them for about 18 months. And after realizing after our second child that I had one weekend off in a year, I realized this was not for me. So, uh, Through some family contacts, I found an opportunity with a company uh, in the chemical world, and it ended up selling salt. So, water conditioning, salt, de-icing, salt, you name it. So, as I pause here, I think army chicken and salt. I am a high flyer at this point.
0: It's quite a combo, Scott. Yes. Quite a combo.
1: It came full circle when I ended up working for GE and taught a junior achievement class, and an eighth grader in the back of the class said, wow army chicken and salt. And I thought, man, that, that, that's pretty funny. So I ended up um, spending about five years or excuse me, seven years at uh, GE in their medical division. So MR, CT x-ray and was in sales leadership there. I then uh, moved to Indianapolis with GE. They wanted to c- continue to move us and we weren't really open to that. So I ended up uh, finding opportunity in leadership at Roche Diagnostics. I was there for five years and then uh, I've been here as Vice President of Sales and Marketing and Performance Services coming up on 11 years. So that's a long story. That's how I got here. Army Chicken and Salt does uh, seem to be a good uh, pathway to get into what I'm doing today.
0: I think, I think that should be the title of this podcast, <laughs> Army, Chicken, and Salt, and then some, because you've had all kinds of incredible experiences throughout your career. First of all, though, I have to say thank you for your service. You know, what, what an interesting experience, that your dad's recommendation that got you to West Point, but then serving for four and a half years. Thank you for that, Scott. So tell us. Um, I know that in the midst of all of those experiences, there's a pivotal moment that pops out to you—a situation that really challenged your values. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So there was a situation where I had 12 direct reports at one of one of my jobs, and within about a week or two period, seven of those 12 direct reports came to me with specific and different instances where the CEO had used some financial and personal misbehavior, or, or they had witnessed some financial and personal misbehavior, and really became an undue influence on their jobs. Uh, so at that point, um, obviously, I listened to it, I processed it, but I escalated it to a senior leader. Uh, that senior leader encouraged me to continue to talk to our senior HR leader uh, about those seven specific instances, and I did that. And what was most disappointing was when I did that with the senior HR leader, that person said, hey, it's all hearsay and you, you can't prove any of that. There was no investigation. There was no commitment of any of that. And then, of course, six, about six weeks later, I was told my responsibility was going to be cut in half. So that was the experience that happened over, like I said, about a, maybe a, a six to nine, 10 week period. It, it was obviously a, a pretty big challenge
0: yeah so take us back to so you said multiple direct reports had come to you. You'd seen some poor leadership behaviors yourself. You first escalated it to a senior leader who then encouraged you to talk to an h r. leader. Tell us a little bit about that. Like was that worrisome at all to you? Or did you pretty quickly realize you know i need i need to I need to do something with this
1: When I heard about what was going on, I will tell you the first thing I did was I prayed about it. And then I talked to my wife about it. And then I called one of my West Point roommates who was uh, an attorney. And he said, hey, Scott, you know, you've got to do something with this. And I knew that was the right thing to do. But uh, in talking to my roommate, he said, you've got a financial responsibility to the business to do something. So it was difficult. My senior leader was very supportive. He basically looked at me and said, hey, I don't believe it, but I believe it. So I knew I had his support during this process. Uh, going to HR, yeah, that was a, a bit of a, uh, a challenge, but I was prepared. I had my facts straight, and I knew I had the support of my senior leader.
0: Uh, tell us a little bit more about that conversation. Like how? So, so ultimately, nothing happened. But give us a little more detail into how you were feeling in that moment.
1: So, obviously, very anxious, but again, the truth was on my side. I trusted all 12 of my direct reports, and the seven that came to me, they were all very specific. So, I had everything written down. I shared each instance with that uh, HR leader. Uh, I thought I had some really good detail. Uh, That person just listened, and like I said, at the end of it said, well, that's all hearsay. You really can't prove any of that. So, I recognized at that point, really right at that point, walking out of that meeting going... I can't stay in this role. And, and maybe they'll ask me not to stay in the role. But I realized at that point, I needed to, to do something different. And so I ended up talking to some people outside of, of that employer because I couldn't go to the in-house attorney because that person represented uh, you know, the senior leadership. So um, I was able to talk to some other people who helped me grow my network. And uh, that's how I was able to move on from that opportunity.
0: Yeah. And you know, this is, I mean, this is one of those complicated situations, right, where there's a lot of players and a lot of things going on. And I and think the thing I'm really interested in, Sky, is your leadership there. I mean, you, having talked with you and knowing your background and how important people are to you, it it sounds like that a big driving force for you were, were your team members who had come to you having seen this behavior. So what impact did, did your relationships have on you're escalating this information and continuing to move forward with it.
1: You know, I've had a lot of time to think about this over the years, and uh, it really comes down to a few things uh, to answer the question. First, I really have tried to build relationships based on my integrity and being transparent, and being authentic, and being respectful, and being myself. And you know, I think by being able to do that, it made those twelve people, and specifically those seven people, comfortable. To know, hey, I can come to Scott with this and he's going to listen to me. So that was the first thing, I think, of building those relationships. The second thing is because those seven people came to me, they as a leader, you also have to understand your team is going to watch on what action you do or do not take on whatever they provide to you. So I will be very candid. Back at West Point when we were uh, young cadets and really not really smart. We had a couple of officers who were in charge of us who always talked about the harder right. And you kind of joke about it as a cadet. Yeah, yeah, the, the harder right. But as you get older and you become an officer, you realize, hey, that really is important. So I think in this situation, even though I knew I would cause strife and would most likely lose my job at some point, I was proud that I took the harder right. And and that's difficult to do. So back to your original question, I think building on that integrity of being yourself, but also understanding, hey, you've got accountability to your people to do something about this. And if you're not going to do something, you better explain it to them why you're not going to do something.
0: Because they are watching, right? They're paying attention. And so clearly in that situation, they felt like, wow, Scott really has our back. You know, he, he cares enough about this because this is a, this is a tough situation. No doubt they realized that. Yeah. And I think about, you know, this is this is a, a pretty egregious situation, right? It sounds like some of these behaviors were, were pretty serious. But I think, every, you know, every day leaders have an opportunity to lead or not, right? A challenge gives us an opportunity to lead. And no doubt, there's a lot of listeners who are facing some sort of challenge. And A lot of times it's easier just to like, well, I'm just, I'm not going to deal, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm going to sweep that under the rug. I'm going to make it okay. So good for you for taking the harder right, as you say. So, so play it out a little bit then. So went to HR, you, you left feeling dismissed from that conversation. And then you said your response, your responsibilities ultimately were cut in half. You know, we don't, we don't know for certain if that was the driver behind it, but I sense that's what you suspect.
1: Yeah. So let me explain a little further. So after that, I went back to my senior leader and explained to him that nothing was going to happen. And so uh, things progressed, kept doing my job. We were doing pretty well as a team. And about four weeks after that uh, discussion with the senior HR person, my boss came to me and said, hey, uh, business is looking to take half your responsibility away and i looked at him and i said hey look you can take me behind the barn and shoot me right now that's fine let's 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 be done with this and uh he said no 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 we we don't want that to happen we want you to stay with the organization but we're just re redoing everything and you know i i could tell he he was just sharing the company line and so as i was looking for other opportunities you know that door open you hear that saying one window closes another opens What is ironic about this is my senior leader left the same time I did. He recognized that the culture there was not what he was intending. And uh, so both of us left at the same time.
0: Yeah. So you saw firsthand the impact of a toxic culture, it sounds like. Tell us a little bit more about that. What did you notice?
1: Yeah. So uh, first of all, (laughs) I've noticed that your gut knows bad behavior. And so, all of your listeners here are in leadership positions and they're probably in those leadership positions because they've showed uh, results and they've showed good behavior in the past. You know what's right and wrong. You know, I I think our kids probably know that and are learning more and more every day, but as leaders, your gut knows bad behavior. The other thing is… You've got to escalate difficult issues. Bad news doesn't get better with time, and you can't solve everything by yourself. And sometimes our ego gets in the way that, oh, I can handle this. But I think getting counsel, whether it's a senior leader or actual attorney counsel, is always wise in, in these difficult situations. I think the other thing that comes to mind is you've got to listen. You can't jump to conclusions. You've got to do your due diligence before you really take that forward.
0: Yeah, talk a little bit more about when to escalate issues. Cuz you know, one of the things that um that I talk a lot with middle managers and leaders about is also so serving as a buffer to bad news and appropriately positioning things. So, you know, cer- certainly in a situation like this where there's some serious things going on, right, you, like you said earlier, I have a financial responsibility. But so Scott, how do you discern like when to escalate and when to when to lead through it on your own.
1: Boy, I wish I had a magic answer to that one. And I think that's uh, that's been over time of what I've learned. So for instance, if it is something that uh, feels like hearsay or rumor, that's something I've got to do some due diligence on before I address it with that employee or you know with my senior leader. Uh, obviously, if it's a customer situation, that would be something that if I can't solve myself and I realize, hey, I need help with this. I'm going to ask for help. I think if there's a, uh, someone is at risk physically or emotionally, then that's something you've got to escalate immediately as well. Uh, I will tell you, I try to solve as much as I can before I go to my, my CEO because uh, I, I know he's got a lot on his plate. But there are certain things that are around uh, employee satisfaction and customer satisfaction that it gets to a certain point. I need help, and I I want his ideas because I think, you know, other people are going to see it from a different perspective than I am, and uh, I'm going through a situation now where I wanted to wait and talk to my uh, CEO about something face-to-face, but it was going to be four or five days, and I went back and realized this whole bad news doesn't get better with time. No, I had to pick up the phone and give him a call and say, hey, I really wanted to talk to you about this face-to-face, but you got to know what's going on here, and, you know, he appreciated that.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, there's, you know, you, you and I were talking previously about like when to die on the hill for something and when not, right? Or or when to fall on your sword, and right? Right. Certain, yeah, I think I think that's just like you said. There's no. There's no magic answer to that. But I do think that's an important leadership skill, that discernment of when to work through that and knowing who can support you in that. Like I so appreciate that the first thing you did is you you went to your Lord and did some prayer and sought godly counsel and reached out to some people that you trusted. Tell us a little bit about that. the impact of that for you. How, what was so helpful in reaching out for support?
1: As I reflect back on that, I think the validation was from friends and some family of, Scott, you know what the right thing to do is, do it. And I knew what the right thing to do was, was to escalate it. And I just needed that validation from some other folks. You know, they asked some good questions. I had the right answers to it and they, they said, hey, you know what you need to do. And so I think it was that validation. There were a couple folks who said, hey, make sure you ask this or ask that or really understand when that happened. And so I think kind of dialing in a little more on the details before I escalate it was very helpful. It also, uh, again, it puts when I when you go out on a limb and talk to other people, they're going to watch what your actions are. You know, I'll tell you, my dad came back to me a week later and said, hey, so what have you done with that yet, buddy? And I, I was able to explain it. But I knew my dad was going to come back to me and ask me, what did I do with that situation?
0: Yeah, no doubt. So there's some accountability when you reach out to trusted advisors. The, the other thing in your, um, some of the things you learned, you, you said you, your gut knows bad behavior. And I think that's such a, that's such a great, simple takeaway. Because then, so once your gut recognizes it, it's almost like you're obligated then to deal with it, right? Because because we know what happens if you don't deal with it. (laughs) Like a little a little mantra that I learned early in my career: if you don't address it, you bless it. So there's a responsibility once I see that or hear about it. Like okay, I need to I need to lead with that now. So talk a little bit more about that for you, Scott. The then addressing it. I mean, clearly, you got a, a perfect example here of doing that. But how does how does that play out in other aspects of your leadership?
1: I think people are looking for leadership in their roles. Uh, even if you're a leader, you're always looking for leadership, and so. I think it's helpful that when you do address things, there's action being taken and people recognize, hey, something's being done about this problem and it's not just being swept under the rug. So I'm I'm not doing it just because, oh, what are other people going to think? It's the right thing. And I think, again, the main takeaway, as I've surmised this whole situation and it's been a while, you've got to get the culture right in your organization. And you got to be able to sustain it. You can put stuff up on the walls in your website about your guiding principles, your mission and all that. But if you're not living that culture day to day and you're not hiring for that culture, then you're right. You're going to, if you don't address it, you're blessing it. So I think that's been the biggest takeaway for me in my career is you got to get the culture right and you got to be able to sustain it. And the way you sustain it is you take action when you need to, and you hire the right people. Easier said than done, I know. But you hire the right people that fit that culture.
0: So what do you do if you recognize culture is not where we want it to be? I mean, so you said hire for it, live it. I get that. But like, what, are, what are some first steps that you would encourage leaders to take to get their culture right?
1: So a couple things. You've got to model the culture that you want. You've got to recognize in a positive fashion the people who are displaying or exhibiting that culture out front you do it whether it's in a public meeting or through an email or or whatever it is but you've got to model that and recognize positively the people who are modeling it at the same time when you see culture that is not fitting for your organization i typically try to do that one on one face to face and address the issue and explain why it doesn't fit the culture. Now, that's difficult to do, especially in our world where everyone's in every place and you don't... Sometimes the people you're leading aren't in your office, but you've got to address And if you don't address it quickly, then it's going to just continue to fester.
0: So something I hear a lot from leaders is around the conversation of modeling the culture that you want, we all know that the shadow of the leader is the culture. And so something I hear a lot from leaders is, well, I, I mean, I'm modeling the culture that I want, but it's my senior leader or senior leaders who perhaps they espouse one thing and actually demonstrate another, or they're the ones that are getting in the way. What advice would you give to leaders who say that?
1: I use an old army term. You got to have the intestinal fortitude to go talk to that senior leader and explain what you are observing or what your team's observing and why that's inconsistent with the culture. And that's really difficult to do, to go talk to your CEO or talk to your VP or whatever. But if you're really bought into your organization, you're bought into your culture, and you're seeing something that doesn't fit that from a senior leader, it is on you to go have that conversation with that senior leader. And if you don't, then that's on you. I'll I'll give you one uh, example from West Point. So at West Point, we have an honor code, a cadet will not lie, cheat, or steal, nor tolerate those who do. So as an example, if I saw someone cheating on a test and I didn't confront that person about that, I was as culpable as they were for cheating. So I'm going to use that as an analogy. We as leaders are culpable if we see a senior leader misbehaving, and we don't address it, now I had a, I had a, you know, this pretty interesting situation that happened some time ago. But there are littler things that happen throughout the year that aren't as big as what I just explained in my story. So you still have to have the intestinal intestinal fortitude to be able to go have that conversation. And if you tolerate it, then hey, buddy, you got to live with it.
0: Well, it goes back to the not addressing it. You're blessing it. Well, so let's talk for a minute about what that could look like. Because I think, so I love the intestinal fortitude because it's it takes courage to step up and have that kind of conversation. But I also think, I mean, as a senior leader myself, I crave feedback from my team members. And one of the things I have a team member who does a really good job of giving me feedback. And one of the things I appreciate about what she does and how she does that is it's just factual. You know, she'll just say something like, Hey, like, here's something I noticed. And as soon as you use those words, I noticed, you're naturally going to talk about an observation an observation. So she's not coming to me like, Andrea, you're a mean, awful person. It's just, Hey, here's something I noticed. We're all moving really quickly, and we've all got competing priorities, and so we all naturally have blind spots. And I, I think um, I facilitated a, a panel conversation with a group of CEOs a few months ago, and that was one of the big things that came out of that conversation is that they were all saying how much they appreciate other leaders in the business coming to them with things that they're seeing, because they how in the world could they see all of that? You know, they so they they crave feedback. So that's just uh, further encouragement.
1: So I that's a really interesting point. And I wasn't part of that conversation, obviously. I think as leaders, we can say that. But are we setting up a culture? Are we encouraging it? Are we asking for it? Or are we just expecting people to come to us? So what's your operating, and this is a rhetorical question, what's your operating mechanism with your people to get that feedback? Are you just expecting them to come with feedback whenever? or? do you have some type of quarterly feedback? And I'll give you one good example that I learned at GE many years ago uh, and asking the question, and I do, some years I'm better at this than others, but what can I keep doing? What can I start doing? And what do I need to stop doing? And that's when you see if you're really gonna get people to be honest with you. If you can ask them, what can I keep doing? What can I start doing? What can I stop doing? And as you can imagine, Andrea, They give you a lot of stuff to keep and a lot of stuff you got to start doing, but it's rare and it's a gem if you get one or two of what you need to stop doing. That's where the gold is.
0: That's so good. Well, and that's such a non-threatening way to ask for feedback too. Like what, what? because you're not saying, Hey, give me some feedback. You're just, you're asking some open-ended questions that naturally are going to elicit a response. Oh my gosh, Scott, we could, uh, we could go on and on here there's so much gold in what you've shared i think the just this the simple takeaways that you've shared around your gut knows bad behavior you know what's right and wrong you've got to escalate issues i think every leader has a responsibility to do that we we dug into that a bit and then and then listening yeah so talk talk just a minute about listening cuz i think so much in the fast paced complicated day to day we want to move to the next thing. We want to advise rather than empathize. So talk a little minute about how how do you listen in the midst of those tough situations?
1: I really try to stay focused and not have something else going. You know, my, my phone should be put away. My computer should not be on. The door should be closed. I really want to make eye contact and be present for that person. That is the goal. Uh, sometimes it can't always be that way, right? You're maybe in the car and you're taking a phone call and, you know, you're getting up on a tall booth and, you know, you're talking to somebody, but you've got to find a way to to really be present. I think letting people talk and not interrupting them is another really key part as a leader. And I will tell you, my brain is like, solve, solve, solve the issue. But I really try to fight through, okay, what's really going on here and let, let this person finish. I think then asking open, good open-ended questions to really understand. Sometimes people just want to vent. They don't want a solution. And then one thing I really try to do is, so what help do you need from me on this? And then ask them to, again, it's putting them back in their lap, but what do they need? Are they just venting or do they really need some help from me?
0: I love it. Yeah, open-ended question there to close it out. What help do you need from me? That says to them, "Hey, I'm here for you. I care about you. I've got your back. We're in this together." Great. So, so Scott, if you could go back now to the challenging situation you told us about, anything you do differently, anything really key that you took away from that? Uh,
1: no, uh, I I think I did the right things because I got good counsel. I knew it was the wrong behavior, and I addressed it. So. I think my lessons learned, I shared you know, earlier about just building those relationships on integrity and listening and, and knowing bad behavior and escalating difficult issues. But I think it, I've recognized how important culture is. And so maybe knowing what I know now, maybe earlier in my career, I could have been more focused on the culture. So for any younger leaders on this call, really do a kind of dial in on what culture are you setting at your organization? And is it the one that you want? And if it's not, you have everything. You can't. You, you know. You've got the power to be able to change that.
0: Yeah, that's so good. And I love your connection to the operating mechanism because your operating mechanisms are creating the culture, aren't they? It's how that's how you show up and how you lead. And that's so. Take a look at that. Do a good analysis. It doesn't. Culture doesn't happen by default. It happens based on the choices that leaders make every day. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for thanks for sharing so openly a challenging situation. I appreciate the courage it took to do that.
1: I really appreciate the opportunity, Andrea. I've learned from a lot of mentors over the years. And so a lot of what I've learned, I learned from them. So anything I can do to pass it along, you know, I I absolutely uh, love doing that. So thank you for the opportunity today.
0: If our listeners want to connect with you, Scott, what is the best way to do that?
1: So two ways. Uh, My cell phone is 317-410-7495. Or you can email me at S. Zygmunt, Z-I-G-M-O-N-D as in dog at performance services. That's with an S, performanceservices.com.
0: Great. Thank you. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.